0: I can actually think of a better topic: living in the love of God. I'm just kidding. I talked to Pastor Terry yesterday. I said, "If I go, they're going to wonder how you're doing." And apparently, they were without power for 48 hours. And you know, he's in his older age. We're the same age, so I can say that. In his older age, he's trying to be adventurous. I said, "I want to go experience a hurricane." I said, "How was it? (laughs) Not that great." So. Um, he's coming back tomorrow, so pray for that. But I want to give you a little history. I never think about doing this. I'm glad some, some guys here reminded, of, reminded me to do so. We actually, Calvary Chapel Three Crosses, came out of this church. And uh, your pastor, Terry, has sent out many church. I can think of three, uh, including us. Mike Morris, I remember when he was doing the puppets. That really ages me. I'm the same age as Terry, but, you know, I know I look younger. Just don't tell him that, right? <laughs> And there's also Pastor Angel. So this church has been a blessing to not just Texas here, El Paso, but also to New Mexico as well. And so it's been about 16 or 17 years that we were here. And we were back in the tent days. You guys heard about the tent days, right? The, even before that, the blue tent day, which, which I look back and thinking, whose idea was that? A tent that was blown up by air that God blew it away with a, a little tornado. And so, we've seen that. So, just coming out from that was a great experience. But it, w- it did make it a little difficult. As we left here and went to Las Cruz, as we were living there, as we drove here every, every Sunday and Wednesday for two years. The worship was so amazing. And so, when we went back, we started their church, uh, as Pastor Terry sent us out. And we had to do CDs. What a bummer it is to go from this awesome worship to that. matter of fact, Daniel was probably doing the worship at that time as well. I was like, uh, maybe Daniel could come help me. But... It it never happened. But that said, just to give you a little uh, um, insight on who I am, Um, I really miss this church. Uh, I love the church we have now, but this is an awesome church, and uh, the people are just great as well. With that said, I want to begin with a word of prayer. Before I do, turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 17, and actually, really, the focus will be on verses 7 and 8. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful morning. We pray, Lord, that you uh, just open our hearts and minds as we hear your word. If we worship you with this music, with uh, singing, we pray, Lord, that we can worship you in word as we uh, listen intently to hear your voice. As we know, it's not my voice they want to hear, but yours. I pray, Lord, as as your words are spoken, that we understand. And as we hear your word, that we understand it, that we're able to apply it so that you can change us to be more like your son. We thank you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe it was Charlie Brown. Do you guys remember Charlie Brown? That's, that's been a while. You're thinking, yeah, kind of. In the archives of history. Um, he said this. He says, I love humanity. It's the people I can't stand. <laughs> so, well, we see Jesus, and, and he demonstrates uh, agape love for humanity, even while we're still opposing God. Do you ever think about that? When we're still in rebellion against God... He sent his son Jesus to die for us. So we, we need to see, see what does that look like to love the way Jesus loves. And that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today. Because I think what the world needs a lot of today and always has is love. Not just love, but the love of God. I always think of the song, All We Need Is Love. I'm really dating myself. Huh? All we need is love, but we'll, all we need is God's love. It involves pouring out ourselves for real people. Pouring ourselves out to sinners as well. Those real life People that have real life quirks. You know, when you become a Christian, you don't lose all those quirks and personality issues. And we're still growing, right? So we need to be able to show love to them as Jesus showed to us. A good good example would be if you ever see an anxious young mother. And think back to those times as being a first time mother. I think you're learning. I don't know if you ever learn how to really be a parent. You're like, I'm I'm in training, and I never learn because there's always something new that comes up. If you see a young mother, she's anxious, she's in a waiting room, and you come up to her, maybe love would be taking care of that toddler as she takes care of her baby. Or perhaps you see a person at the bank that's struggling, perhaps sometimes even with a language bearer and not understanding. You imagine translating uh, into a different language, accounting, she's not getting it. You go up and lovingly help her Get things straight, or it could even be that next door neighbor who's struggling to keep the marriage together, or how about that daughter who pushes your buttons every ten minutes? And I wrote this because I have two daughters. I get it. <laughs> I have an eighteen-year-old, a twenty-three-year-old. I'm like, yeah, they love me to death, but they love to push my buttons at times. Even those, we need to love them. We need to show them compassion, mercy. We're challenged to express God's Christ's love to them, the way He loved. The best example is when Jesus came, how he loved. You ever think about that, how he loved those that would come against him? He still showed them love. I mean, I even think about the 12 apostles. I am like, could you pick some better ones? And he knew exactly who they were. And he still loved them, knowing what they would become, what he would make them to be. It's in those moments when we see the people that need help, that need love. We need to step out. We need to take that risk, right? Sometimes we don't. It's like, they're going to make fun of us. Or maybe they'll reject my help. Or perhaps, has God ever told you, hey, go talk to this person. Show them love. And you're like, God, yes, I will. But can you pick a different one? <laughs> maybe not that one. But again, it's God's love. We need to be asking, fill me with your spirit so I can love the way you love. We need to dare to, to look foolish, dare to make mistakes. Dare to love as God loves the person, and even if it rings out our own hearts. And even seems to me as, as a pastor and even as a Christian, the ones sometimes that you love the most are the ones that can cause you the most pain. I think Jesus sold us that example, didn't he? He loved all of us so much that he was willing to die for us. We've been created, we've been redeemed, we've been commanded to love as Jesus loved so we need to hang our whole life on love, for the, the truth is, God is love, isn't he? God's love is active within each and every one of us, and his love never fails. And the reason why I bring this is, we begin this book of Romans, this is an introduction to the saints in Rome. And this is exactly what they did. They loved. They loved so much that they were known across the Roman Empire. As Paul, in his letter, as you read the very beginning, you say, I, I want to come to you. Your faith has been heard throughout the world. And when they say world at that time, the Roman Empire was the world, wasn't it? it occupied everything that was known. So with that, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 7 through 17. And I, as I read these first two verses, I'll try to emphasize a couple words because that's the ones we want to focus on. It's very interesting how this introduction can be Uh, just kind of blown through and not see the great detail that's within his letter. He begins by saying, To all who are in Rome, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness of how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. And as we went through the book of Acts, all through his third missionary, second missionary trip, Paul kept saying, I desire to go to Rome. But the Holy Spirit kept uh, him from going to Rome because he had other plans. You ever experienced that in your life? God has other plans than what you have. And he heeded those plans. He says, I've been desiring to come to you. And he goes on to say, as, as I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. I plan many times to come to you, but I have been prevented from doing so until now. In order that I might have a harvest among you... Just as I have among the other Gentiles. And a little background there. As Paul went through Asia Minor. As he went through Ephesus, Corinth. All these different places. Philadelphia. He experienced so much fruit among these Gentiles. More so among the Gentiles. Isn't it amazing? The Jews are the ones that were opposing him. Some would embrace him. And if you guys know Acts. Which we all probably do. He would go through. And they would you know, be a little curious about him. Let him speak for a while. And eventually sometimes stoned him to death. Many times, he would leave the city driven away because they got tired of hearing the truth. But it was not fruitless. As he says here, this fruit among the Gentiles, every city he went to, a church was established. He goes on to say, I am obligated. Listen to his heart. He says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. Who is that? That's everybody, right? He says, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul begins this letter, he, he addresses the letter Kind of different than what we do now. We usually put from at the very end, right? And during this Greek culture, they begin to address the letter, telling people who this letter is from as well. And uh, he says, to all in Rome. And this part he's talking who he's written it to. The verse four, The first six verses he introduces himself. Here he goes, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So specifically, who is Paul writing to? He tells us, and he breaks it down for us. He starts with those who are loved by God. The word loved, those loved by God, is also translated, you've heard it in some versions like the King James, beloved, esteemed, dear, favorite, worthy of love. So when I read this the first several times, I'm like, doesn't God love everyone? Does, Does God love everyone? When you heard that question, what would you guys think? Yes. And we know this to be true if we... And I want you to just write this down. This one you know, John 3, 16. Clearly tells us, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So clearly the Bible teaches us that God loves the people of the world. But we also know the reason why he loves the people of the world because God is love. And he tells us in 1 John 4, verses 7-8. through He says, Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I love this one. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That should prick our hearts. You say, am I loving that way? If I'm not loving people, and sometimes it's hard because it depends on your life experience as you've been raised. Some of us haven't experienced love, which is unfortunate. Even those that have experienced love, you haven't experienced true love until you experience God. Because He's the author. That's His character, right? Love is an attribute of God. It is a core aspect of who God is, His person, His character. Now, when we talk about God's love, it's in no sense in conflict with the rest of His character, His holiness, His righteousness, His justice, or even His wrath. Because sometimes people focus on Trying to make an excuse, why not to know God? He's he's a God of wrath, a God of judgment. No, he's a righteous God, and when he sees wickedness, he has has to judge it. It'd be like you, someone committed a crime against you, and you go before the court, before the judge, and he says, ah, I know you, I'm just going to let it go. You wouldn't look at that as a righteous God, would you? doesn't mean he's not a loving person, but he is a righteous judge. In the same way, God is a righteous God, and all his attributes are in harmony. Everything that God does is loving. Just as everything he does is right and just. Now, so when we look at God, and I think this is important for many young ladies and and young men as well. You're looking for that true love. God is the perfect example of what true love is. Look for a man or a woman that exemplifies the love of God. That's what you need to be looking for. Now, of course, you're looking for the handsome. That's the first thing that attracts you to that person or that woman. But after that, you've got to look at their character. Before you move forward, you need to look at that godly character. And really, you need to stop saying, well, I'll change them. No, only God can change us. Isn't that true? I don't think any man says that. Mostly women. Men are just oblivious of just about anything. But I try to tell my wife that. But you know what's amazing about God? As we're talking about God's love. And we're like, we need to love like God loves. God has given each and every one of us as received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior the ability to love as he loves. You guys hear that? You can love as Jesus has loved. And how does he love? And we're going to see that in a minute. With agape love, unconditional love. And many times we love with conditions. Have you ever thought about like that? I love you, but if you do this, my love is conditional. But Jesus loves us no matter what. So who is Paul writing to then? We're like, well, God loves everyone. He's saying those who love. Paul was speaking to a very specific group of people. And he's speaking to those who have responded to God's love. Those who are living in the love of God. Those who are called saints. So let's look at the word saint, especially in the culture we live in. We hear the word saint all the time, and we need to understand what it means. In the King James Version, I think you guys use the New King James, right? I use the NIV, the Nearly Inspired Version, because it's easier to read. But here in the King James Version, it says, just like in the NIV, it says, to be saints. It's italicized in the in King James because these words were not in the original Greek text. It was inserted to, you know, fulfill the sentence. It hasn't really changed it, but I think it should be read like this. You are called saints. What well, that shows us and clarifies, once you become a believer, you're now a saint, not like in religious history, it talks about those who are special people that have been called and appointed by man to be saints. There's actually two categories of people. There are the saints and the pagans. I like to say in my simple language, there's the saints and there's the ain'ts. You're either a saint or you ain't, right? You're either a believer or you're not. So who is Paul writing to? He's writing to believers, Those who are living in the love of God. And I think that's important to stress. Because they're living in the love of God, the world has heard of them. Many Christians, as we're going to see, have not been living, are not always living in the love of God. How can that be? You have the Holy Spirit living in you, but many times we allow the troubles of this world to distract us. Have you guys noticed that? Have you? The worries, the sickness, health, uh, people have died in your family. It's, and sometimes you either run to God or you run away from God when tragedy happens. We need to run to him. Believers are not only loved by God. They're also experiencing God's love. This is an important point. We as believers need to be experiencing God's love. When you come and accept him as your Lord and Savior, you remember that love. What I remember the most is, I can't believe that he forgave me of all the things I've done. All the things I've done or ever will do. That that, that was his love. But see, it goes further. And sometimes many of us as believers miss this. He says, I want a relationship with you. I want you to, let me give you a picture. I always love to go back to Genesis. Before the fall. God would show up in the garden. You ever picture this? He shows up and hey, Adam, how's your day? And I'd be thinking, God, you know everything. You know how my day's going. He's been on my back all morning to clean the, take out the trash. No, no. He comes into him so that Adam and Eve can experience more of him. You see how that works? That relationship is so that we can experience more and more of who God is because he knows everything about us. Let's turn to, you're already there, hopefully in Romans chapter 1. Turn a few chapters to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Because what we're going to expound a little bit on is who Paul is writing to, what it looks like to be believers who are living in the love of God. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And he says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, per- perseverance, character, and character hope. And here's the verse, verse five: and hope does not disappoint. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Focus on that verse. He's poured out his love. As the Holy Spirit comes within us, we're experiencing God's love. Sometimes it's hard for me to wrap my head around it that God lives within us as believers. Now, how, how powerful and how vast and he is. How can he live within us? But that's what he says. I dwell within you. In verse 6, you see, at just the right time when we we're still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely, rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. See, this is a picture showing us why we should love others. While we're still sinners, while we're still in rebellion against God, he sent his son to die for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So Christians, believers, the person Paul is writing to are those who are justified by faith in Jesus Christ for what he did. And so, who is Paul writing to? He's writing to those that have peace with God. So before you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not at peace with God. You're actually at enmity. You're in in conflict. You're fighting against God. And as believers, we look at that, we know who's going to win. So there's no peace there. So he's writing to those who are at peace with God. Those, not only at peace, they rejoice because they've been reconciled with God. In other words, now that relationship has been made whole again. They can walk with God in the garden. They can talk with God every day. He's also writing to, as we said, to saints again. Saints are never, in the New Testament, it's never been said that they're deceased individuals who have been canonized. N- nothing to come against it, but we want to be truthful. I don't know where that came from, but it's not in the Bible that you canonize people. And here's the thing that I look at and it should challenge you. When you hear things like that, you need to go back and say, is it uplifting man? When you do that, it's uplifting men. So that makes you say, you know what? That, it's not about uplifting men. It's about uplifting Jesus. It's about uplifting God. So that should cause you to be like a brain. Go back and read in the Word of God and say, where does it say that? Don't just be listening to what people tell you because they say a lot of things. And actually, I found myself, there's a few things that I've said that I've repeated that turns out not to be biblical. They sound biblical, right? For example, God helps those who help themselves. Does that not sound like a scripture? It's not in the scripture. It's actually totally the opposite of what God says. He says, "Come as you are, come as you are," and I, I. He says, "I'll bring you, I will save you as you are, but I love you too much to leave you the way you are." He'll change you. So Paul continues. Let's go back to Romans chapter one and look at verse seven again. So we're going to get into the second part. when I'm going to focus on how he begins this letter. Verse 7b, the part that begins with grace. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul formally addresses his his readers with, it's a familiar greeting. He combines two words, a Greek word and a Jewish, uh, a Greek greeting of grace and a Jewish greeting of peace. So in Paul's days, the Greeks would start each letter with choris. You know, it's funny when I saw it the first time. Cheriso, no, cherise. When it gets really close to noon, I'll be saying it even more. "Charis," which means grace. So someone says grace to you when they meet you, it's pretty, pretty neat. But I like the way the Jewish greeting is. When they'll come to you, they'll say shalom, which means peace. And today we all need that peace. It says peace be with you. Now, you got to remember the peace they're talking about. It's not what the peace the world talks about. I was thinking of the beauty pageants. They seem to all say, what do you want for the world? We want world peace and tranquility. I'm like, that's awesome. Uh, the last lady said the same thing, so it really means nothing. But compare that to the peace of God. That's a total different peace. You know what I'm talking about? The peace that passes all understanding. Like the things that went in the last couple of years, when those that did not allow fear to consume you. Fear is natural, right? We have the fear. It's what you do with it. You say, "Okay, God, I I, I have this fear. I give it to you because I trust in you." When you should be fearful, you have that peace. That you can't explain. I'm just saying God's given this peace. I can't really explain to you. But I can explain to you how you can obtain the same peace. By accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. When Paul writes his letters. Different epistles that he wrote. He's wrote what two-thirds of the New Testament. Every time he, he uses these same words. Grace and peace. And he usually puts them in the same order. You know why that is. You can't experience peace without God's Grace. You can experience peace until you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So that's why he puts it that way. Before you can have peace, you have to be at peace with God. But sometimes as believers, we try to be holier or more deserving than God's blessing. But you will not have peace until you embrace God's grace. Until you understand God's grace. In other words, his grace is he gave you and I what we do not deserve. We do not deserve. As he said... Jesus came and died for us while we're still in our sins. None of us here deserve God's forgiveness, do we? He says, when you understand that, you'll stop striving in your own ability. If I do all these things, I'll please God and he'll love me more. No. He loves you as much today as he ever will. We can't obtain righteousness in our own ability. He tells us over and over. It's through what Christ did on the cross. Now, many of us, and we all, should serve. We serve God because we love him, right? Think about it this way. You help, if my brother calls me, I'm there to help him, my sister, because I love them. It's not that I'm striving to earn anything from them because I know they already love me. So it's the same way with God. We we know he loves us. We do these things because we love him in return. And we know that he loves us because he showed his grace to us. And grace is an essential part of who God is. Again, it's another part of God's character. We have love, we have grace. This grace is closely related to God's benevolence, to his love, to his mercy. God's favor. God's grace is God willing to forgive and bless us abundantly. In spite of the fact we don't deserve it. And once we embrace grace, we're able to experience peace, which I talked about. And peace is a state of tranquility, of quietness of the Spirit. Isn't it hard to get your spirit quiet today? I used to do inspections, and I would drive. When I worked for the state, I had to drive for hours. And I would turn off the radio so I could get peace. And next thing you know, the radio's on again. I don't know why well, my, my, my mind did it without even thinking about it. But trying to get to a quiet place today is very hard to do. We're inundated with noise. And matter of fact, kids are almost born with phones in their hands, or they, when they come out, they get it stuck in their hands. There's, there's always something going on, right? But we want to experience this, this peace that's described in Scripture. Peace is described as a gift from God, congruent with His character. And I'm just going to read this to you. Romans 1, verse 8, again, you're already there. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported All over the world. So Paul had made it a habit as he would begin his letter, he says, I want to thank God. He would would start with this specific prayer, a personal message to the recipients. Now, in the Greek culture, as it came from Alexander the Great, the Romans embraced this culture, they would often include at the beginning of their own letters prayers to the gods. So many gods. Can you imagine that, trying to write a letter? So, What's the other God's name? And to all those, et cetera. Well, I'm going to make this one mad if I don't put the name. So, what Paul says, he sees this custom. He says, you know what? I'm going to take this. You know, we can take bad things and change them for the good, right? And i give you one example. October the 31st, Halloween. I used to love to do it as a kid. And if you notice, I'm not really super tall. I know it's hard to tell up here, right? I could do it till probably about 12th grade because, you know, I'm as short as a kid. Now kids are taller than me today. But many people have taken Halloween and switched it to the harvest. And some people have a problem with that. I said, you know what? Don't bash it till you look at what they're doing. you got people going out, coming to you with their kids, and you can tell them about Jesus. Now, you shouldn't dress up like witches and all that kind of stuff, right? There's all kind of cool people to dress up like David, uh, all these biblical uh, Samuel, different people. But you're able, God's bringing them that can come to you and you can give them the gospel message. In the same way, Paul is saying, I'm going to change it up. I'm going to take what they made for bad. And I'm going, to, I'm going to first, what I'm going to do, I'm going to thank my God through Jesus Christ for you. And what's interesting in this statement, I don't know if you noticed it, it says, I'm going to thank my God. He didn't say, I'm going to thank the God of Israel. I'm going to thank your God. What is he doing here? Rather, he says, I'm going to thank my God, the God whom I worship, the God whom I serve. What is Paul doing here? He's making God a personal God. And I'm not making him. He's telling us, God is personal to me. God is a personal God, unlike the Greeks and the Romans. So we also got to think about the culture he's in. Unlike the Greeks and the Romans and all the pagan gods of the world, they're impersonal. Some have taught, uh, there was a big word for it, deism or something. Where they believe that God created everything. got you know, spin the earth is going and he walked away. That's not true. God is a personal God. And we see the personal qualities of God come out virtually on every page of the Bible. That's why it's so important to read the Old and the New Testament. You guys understand that if you don't read the Old Testament, you're not going to fully understand the New? Because who do you think Paul's quoting back to? He's going back and quoting the Old Testament. Because from the very beginning of Genesis all the way to the, Micah, to the very end, it's always pointing to Jesus Christ. There's so many pictures of the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. So we look at the Bible. What do you think about when you hear the Bible? It's a book. It's an old book. Some people in the days just call it an old book. No, it's actually God speaking to us. Isn't that amazing? You need to look at it like that. Not idolize the actual paper and the, the covering, but the content is directly from God to us. So because of that, God wants us to No more than just have knowledge. Now, knowledge of the word of God is important. You should be studying it. You should be knowing it. But if you know the word of God, but you don't know the God of the word, what purpose is it? Right? God says, I want you to know more about me personally. That I'm your creator. That I'm your guide. That I'm your sustainer. Do you look at God as your sustainer? As your judge. As your lawgiver. And those that have have accepted him as our Lord and Savior, he's our father. Isn't that amazing? Those that don't have a, a father, now maybe they've passed away. Maybe you've never had a good father. You want to experience a real father. Experience God the Father. I think love more than you can even think of. Young ladies, I encourage you. I try to encourage my daughters. I love my daughters to death. I love them to death, but God can show you more love than I can. So I encourage you to seek That first and foremost. So we see the Bible is inundated with God as a personal God. He shows us that we're also distinct persons from him. And he holds us accountable for our sins. But he also loves us so much that he sent his son to redeem us. So if God was an impersonal God, have you heard on, I hate to mention any shows like Oprah. I don't even watch over, just hear... I always hear this words like, he's in essence, he's a greater power. He's not a greater power. If he was a greater power, he would, he would be without love. He would be without justice, mercy, or wrath, compassion. There would be no gospel if God was an impersonal God. So it should make your skin crawl when you hear this promoting of God being a, it's not God, it's a, a greater power. Even think about what they taught in schools, Macy, uh, about uh, Darwin's theory. You guys realize the second word of that is theory? It's proven to be untrue. And so many people listen to that and and they they look at God as just a power. And Again, it misses who God truly is. He's a personal God. And God has made himself clearly known through Scripture. He's made himself clearly known from his creation. If you look around, you look at the amazing things. Even now, as technology, as science has increased, they look at the eye, the intricacy. The, the whole complication of how we are built just with the eye. They're like amazed. The DNA, this is, I think, really shows there is a creator. It's like a map. It didn't just happen, there is a creator, and that's why they like to say a uh, 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 greater power. You know why they say greater power? Because they don't want to say there's God. And that's. they're so close. So close. And Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Why is he saying through Jesus Christ? The Bible teaches that we are to pray to, directly to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because we have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And here's why I want to give you a better picture. And consider Mark, you can write this down, Mark chapter 15, verse 38. He says, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When Jesus died on the cross, it was torn from the top to the bottom. That veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, where God's presence would come, only the high priest could go in there one time a year, only once. So when Jesus died, it ripped it from the top to the bottom, which I looked at as God ripping. That makes sense, right? He's up here and he rips it to the top to the bottom. But someone else told me another important thing about that ripping and tearing. Let's see if I can say this without getting emotional. When Jews would, even to the day, when something grievous would happen, what they did, tear their their garments. So, Pinser, God, in the same way, the moment his son died. That grieving that hears. I guess I could have left that part out. The grieving that God experienced. Can you think about that? But he still did. He knew this would happen. But still, he did it because of his love for us. So those in the New Testament, if they could look forward and see us today, they would be envious of us. That we could go boldly before the throne of God. Not through... Any manly high priest but through Jesus Christ. And we go before the foot of Him. So that, that's a picture of prayer. And one of the most neglected things as a believer is prayer. Let's make it simpler. You know what prayer is? Simply put, is talking to God. They would love that. Even in the Old Testament, you've seen where Moses said, Hey, God wants you to come up. They're like, No, you go. We, we fear God. That fear is gone because of Jesus Christ. I, I still laugh at that. They're like... Moses like, come on, God wants to talk to you. He's like, no, 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 <laughs> you go talk to him. We're, we're scared of him. But that has changed, hasn't it? In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 14, 9, 1 through 14 tells us that through Christ's death, we no longer separate from God because of this curtain. Because of what he did, we're now able again to go boldly before him. So Paul was thanking God through Jesus Christ for what? Now here's important is the last point I believe I'll make is he says, For all of you, because your faith has been reported all over the world. Paul was thankful for the faith of the believers in Rome, but who is he thanking? He's not saying, Oh, I thank you for your faith. He says, I'm thanking God. He's giving God credit for their faith. He didn't thank them for believing, he thanked God because God is the one who enables people to believe. Because on our own, we would turn away from God. So even when we have a small amount of faith, we need to thank God for that faith. you ever think that you need more faith? Do you guys ever think that you need more faith? This would be a good point to say. All of us would be like, yes. Okay, I'll just assume that you all raised your hand. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Because we all need more faith, but we cannot obtain it in our own ability. It comes from God. So we pray for many things. When's the last time you say, Lord, give me, God, give me more faith. He'll, he's the one that gives you more faith. And what I like about this part, he says, he's praising God for it. He says, the whole world, meaning the Roman Empire, knew of their faith. Now, they knew of who they were. Then he saw and heard of their love and the actions that they took, the way they lived. It wasn't just words. We can't just love people by words, and We should. But we also, they need to see a love in action. You see someone broken down. You ever see someone broken down? You know, my favorite time is driving to church. Someone has a flat tire. I'm like, Lord, send someone to help them as I drive by. (laughs) He's like, it was you. But Lord, I got to go serve you. No, that's what we're called to do is not just say it, but do it, right? So all this begs the question, what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 tells us. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So, perhaps no other component of Christian life is more important than faith. Here's the thing. We can't purchase it. This is what I was talking about. We can't purchase it. We can't sell it. We can't even give it to our friends. You ever see some family members, I want to give you faith. It doesn't work that way. You can just hand out the cards. Here's a faith card. It doesn't work that way. Faith is, according to the Bible is belief in the one true God without actually seeing him. Faith, in another way put, is faith is an attitude whereby a man abandons all reliance on his own efforts to obtain salvation. By deeds, by works, by being good. Many times you ever watch Way of the Master, they'll go out and say, you think you're going to heaven? are like, yes, I'm good. No, no, not one. The word of God says, not one is good. So faith is an attitude of complete trust in Christ. And reliance on Him alone for all that salvation means. This is kind of what I was talk, talking about before. You serve God not for salvation. Because you can do nothing to obtain salvation. You can walk, knock on a thousand doors. You can do serve in the ministry every day. But unless you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not forgiven. You can never be good enough. They're only through what Jesus did. And so that brings us back to faith. Once you accept Christ, you, you have this faith that God has created within you is not something you can conjure up yourself. It's not something you're born with. It's not even a result of, and some people get on my case about this, not even a result of diligent study or pursuit of spiritual knowledge or understanding. And the reason why I say this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, makes it very clear that faith is a gift from God. So this is the reason why I'm saying that, yes, you should read the word of God. You should pray and be praying for that God would increase your faith. And what does that mean? To be able to trust God in everything that he says. Increase my faith so when you say it, I do it. Faith is simply given us by God along with grace and mercy. So you put that together, grace and mercy, faith all coming together from God. And it's important to understand our faith can falter at times. Have you ever noticed when your faith has faltered? Has your faith faltered in the last two or three years? Many of us, it has. But because of the, it's a gift of God, he provides these times of trial. So let's look at these last two or three years and like, oh man, I wish it'd be perfect. And you ever think that God can, I'm a Christian. Anyone that teaches that when you become a believer, that's smooth and perfect is not telling you the truth. Matter of fact, they're doing you a disservice. Because God will allow or even bring trials into our lives, testings, in order to prove that our faith is real. When you have a trial, what do you find yourself doing the most? Seeking God as you should. It it reveals to us that our faith is true. And we're told in James chapter 1 that to consider it all pure joy when you fall into trials. You, You ever do the happy dance when you're in a trial? It's like, yes, God, thank you. Don't do that. I'm not saying to do that. What you do, like Jesus did, when he died on the cross, he wasn't looking toward it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's like, oh, yes, bring it, God. I look forward to the pain and suffering. What he did was look past the pain and suffering to the result of what he was going to go through. So in the same way, when we're going through trials, we don't joy in the trial itself, but we joy, have joy in what God is doing in and through us. So many times we've got to look back and say, okay, God, that's what you're doing. There's trials that I went through and I don't understand. But when I look back, I can see what God is doing to change me to be more like His Son. Can the worship team come up? So as I conclude today's teaching, I want to end with a question. I think it's very important for every Christian to be asking ourselves every day. Are you living in the love of God? And that begins first with a relationship with Him. You can't live in the love of God unless you know Him. Unless you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So if anyone's here that hasn't we will have counselors up here later, right after worship here. If you need prayer, please don't leave here without accepting me as your Lord and Savior. But I want to also speak to you as believers. How many of us believers are you experiencing God? Are you at peace with God? Are you living in God's love? How about this? As we read what Paul is saying in this beginning, are you rejoicing and hopeful in, in your faith every day? Are you growing in the knowledge and and the understanding of of his salvation? Many of us can allow the world and life to take us out of that peace and joy. Now again, God has given us emotions, right? I'm not bashing the emotions, but it's what you do with those emotions. Something happens, you you have fear. Again, I say fear because it's the most common thing I've heard in the last three years. Fear, fear, fear. The sky is falling. and, And as believers... We look and trust in God. But if you're not living in in that peace or joy. Or you're not living in the love of God. I would encourage you right where you are. Just just fall on your knees. In your heart. And physically. Whatever you want to do. And say, Lord, forgive me. Restore me. Help me experience you. Help me to know you more. As you want me to know you. Help me live in the love of God. And when you live in the love of God. You know what's going to happen? You know, I I get into politics sometimes. Not here. Because I don't want to upset Terry when he's gone. Is that if you want to change people, it starts with the heart. Isn't that where the change happens? And God does the change. And we as believers are called to be messengers. We don't even have to change anybody because we can't. We take the gospel, the good news, the love of God to people. That's what you're coming here on Sunday to be equipped to do. To live in this world, but to love like God loves. And when you do that, the world will be changed. Starting with El Paso. And if you guys get through El Paso, Los Cruces needs a lot of help too. And people are moving here from all over, not to mention certain places like California or anything. But God is bringing them to our doorsteps. He's bringing the lost to our doorsteps. And we have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. So I'll I'll end with that.